Radio. Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Welcome back, everybody, to Color Me Dead podcast about true crime with Angel and Nikki. Episode 150. Oh, yeah, it is. Mm hmm. I even put that on the thing when I saved it, but it, it still hit me. Holy shit. 150. 150. Um, if you want to check us out other places, you can go to ageofradio.org slash color me dead. You can find us. You can find our show. You can find, you can shop the bazaar. What else can you do there? You can find other shows. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, you can go explore. You can donate to our Patreon there, or you can go to patreon.com slash color me dead podcast. You can donate anything from a dollar to $75. You get ad free episodes with any donation. You get stickers with any donation, and then the perks go up from there. Also, so sods when they come out. And also, if you would like to purchase merchandise, we have merchandise, and you can get it at LaGraCreations.com. Dot com. Or ColorMeDeadPod.Threadless.com. You can get a face mask. Mine is comfortable as shit. I like it. And if you want very specialized merchandise, whether it's Color Me Dead or not, definitely go to LaGraCreations.com. Mm-hmm. Check that out. There is a button where you can go and you can surf all of the merchandise specific to Color Me Dead. If you see something... And you want something, buy it. You're supporting a small business, woman-owned, and you're also supporting us. Plus, if you look and you don't find it, send her an email because I guarantee you she can make it. She does. And I've sent her emails that were very vague of what I wanted and she ended up producing exactly what I wanted. Right? Yes. Do it. Do you want to send us shit to our fan box? To the fan box. You can do that. It's P.O. Box 1610, Vernal, Utah, 84078. Do you want to email us? Do you want to send us something in verbiage? Yes. Um, Maybe you want to share your survivor story, or maybe you have some questions, comments, concerns, emotional outbursts you would like to share with us. Do so at the Color Me Dead podcast at gmail.com. We also have social media you can find us on. You totally can. If you would like to be ignored on Twitter, it's at Color Me Dead Pod. Uh, if you go to Facebook, and Facebooketh sucketh right now, but mm-hmm. you can go to Color Me Dead Podcast to see the page. You can go to CMD Reborn, which is our Facebook group page for I don't know how much longer because 
Facebook sucketh. Right. We'll probably start getting shut down there again, too, because they're digging up old shit from the old one. Fuck me, dude. Like, sending me messages about, you approved this on this group six months ago, and it went against our standards. Dude, I had a GIF that I put up, and it was, it said, six days without incident, 2021. And the chick walks up in the GIF, flicks the number off, replaces it with a zero, and, like, takes a big swill off of off a bottle of wine. I thought it was fucking funny given the current events of the United States of America. It was removed for spam. Are you serious? Because it went against Facebook community standards. So I really truly believe that it's only a matter of time before we each catch like a fucking permanent ban. I got banned from something I sent in messenger. So you know what I mean? So I I didn't even know that that was a thing, but uh, so there's that. And then we are also on Instagram at color me dad podcast. You want to follow me at color me dad angel. Want to follow Nikki at gory underscore Nikki. So to begin today's episode, this is a survivor story and I'm going to do that thing. It's one of those episodes where I make you guys all fucking hate me, right? These are so emotionally taxing on me. All right. <laughs> and what i do is i play the devil's advocate except i'm going to make you side with both the victim as well as the perpetrator in this story so what if i told you about somebody who was experiencing severe domestic violence and couldn't leave her abuser and blogged about it okay i have thoughts already but we'll see how this goes well this was part of something that was blogged I've been bruised from head to toe, knocked unconscious, suffered injuries that were visible and others that weren't. I've had to make decisions about going out into public because of how my face looked and what to wear to best cover my bruises and contusions. I've had to close bank accounts because my signature did not match my signature card. But it doesn't work if your fingers are broken, strained, and sprained. If I am killed, I hope I don't get revived by some well-meaning EMT or ER doctor. I would hate to have to die like that twice. So why couldn't she leave? Why wouldn't you leave? If you were in a a situation of domestic violence, there are a multitude of reasons, right? Yeah. Well, she didn't leave because her abuser is her child. Oh, good God. All right. That was a game changer. Her autistic daughter. There was so many things going through my head of like, you know, lots of things. So this story was about a woman named Kelly Stapleton and her daughter, Isabel Stapleton. Um, the, the piece that I just read to you, a friend of Kelly's who was working at a nursing school once read this post to a group of her students. When the students thought about the story, the abusive spouse, they were full of outrage and advice. But when the friend explained that the writer was talking about her autistic daughter, the room went completely silent. I could imagine because I just did the same thing because... What do you say? This story is, I'm also new at this story. I didn't do any research so that we could. I, I like doing this, dude, where sometimes you write it and I get to react and other times I write and you get to react. And I love where I, I, <clears throat> I haven't made my mind up about this case and we'll get to that when we close up. All right. Okay. But I love when I can fiddle with people. 
You like to fiddle with my emotions. I, I get do. It. I do. I do it to everybody, though. I'm I say fragile. Of, Be like, nice to 90, me. 90% of the shit I say on a daily basis is fucking tongue in cheek. I just want to see what Your happens. reaction. Yeah. yeah. At this point, I am like a walking fucking reaction video. I just want to see what happens. I don't even believe the shit that I'm saying. Sometimes I do. But like other times I will just say some shit to see what happens. Well, and then it makes me question what I'm saying. I'm like, okay, do I actually believe that? It was that, uh, what was her fucking name? All I can see is her eyebrows. Michelle. Michelle Michelle. Conrad. That one. You would say, you would ask a question. I was like, you know what? Fuck you. I don't know now. (laughs) So. I don't know. So that's what kind of episode this is going to be. Yes. So the blog in question was a, an inspiration to plenty of moms who felt desperate and trapped in a situation similar to hers. Um, so this case is about a mother who attempted to murder her own daughter. Oh. The young girl, um, the young girl lived and her mother is now serving time in prison. If you don't know the name Issy Stapleton, well, settle in and buckle up kids because I have a tale to tell you. Now, raising a child is a chuff, chuff. It's very chuff. It's a very chuff thing to do. It's a very chuff job. Uh, Raising a child is a tough job. Raising a child with special needs has got to be even tougher. Um, As a person who didn't raise toddlers, but I raised bigger kids, young preteens, preteen and tween. Yeah. Um, I know that that was a difficult job for me and I got to surpass the like potty stage and all that stuff. But to do that with a child that has communication needs Mm -hmm. or delays that has to be really difficult um raising a child with severe autism who is prone to fits of violent rage and aggressive behavior is probably far more difficult than any of us will ever imagine unless you've been in that situation as a parent your job is to keep your child safe and healthy can a parent who is supposed to be a protector to be driven to harm the very child they're supposed to protect What would drive a parent to cause irreversible damage to their own kid's well-being? These are just a few of the grave questions that are going to be raised in the case of Kelly Stapleton and her daughter, Issy. Well, this all came to light in 2013. Izzy was born to Kelly and Matt Stapleton as the middle child of three and their first daughter in Michigan in 1998. It was shortly after she turned 18 months that Kelly realized there was something a little bit off about Isabel. Um, Izzy's delay was noticeable. And at the age of two, she was diagnosed with severe autism level three, level one being the most mild and high functioning, which is where you see kids that are neurodivergent. They're not neurotypical. Um, that, you know, those kids that are like, I work with a kid and he, I love him. He's just awkward. And, but he's, you know, he works, he went to school, he has a bachelor's degree, drives a car, like, you know what I'm saying? So level, level three, excuse me, high functioning. My little nephew, this is weird because my little nephew is the middle of three kids Mm -hmm. and then he just got diagnosed with autism and I'm not exactly sure what level it is, but he didn't talk. Like he was like 18 months and still couldn't talk. And that's why she went in and and took him in. Um, but he's one of the, he's the easiest out of the three. Oh, I haven't seen them. So I don't know what he's like. I haven't seen him for a year. So thanks COVID. I haven't seen my nephew for a year. So I have no clue what's going on here. So level, 
level one being the most, excuse me, level one being the most mild and high functioning and level three being the most intense, needing the most support. Um, so those are going to be your children that are nonverbal. Those are going to be your kids that don't speak. Um, your kids that don't process as well as others. So there are five kinds of, um, like there's five types of autism you that used to be labeled as um, an autistic disorder, a pervasive developmental disorder, um, otherwise non-specified. They called it PDDNOS. There's Asperger's syndrome, childhood dis- disintegrative disorder, and Rett syndrome. Rett syndrome is a very rare genetic disorder, but it does fall within the spectrum. Okay, so you always hear people say. He's on the spectrum. She's on the spectrum. Well, this is what they're talking about. Yeah. Okay. It used to be that they were like, oh, he's autistic, but there's different kinds, not different kinds, but like different levels and yeah, different kinds of autism. Yeah. Fucking tricky, Like big time. Oh yeah. Big time. Yep. So autism spectrum disorder is a condition related to the brain development that impacts how a person perceives and socializes with others, generally causing problems in social interactions and communication. This disorder also includes limited and repetitive behavior patterns. Izzy's behavior as an autistic toddler wasn't so much the issue. Her mother, Kelly, devoted every minute to learning about autism once she was diagnosed. Right. Like Like you you do. Yeah. You know, like, like a diligent parent. Right, I I did that with my my little guy because he has ADHD. So I was like, let's read everything we can and buy all the books about ADHD. Right. However, I have ADD, so I didn't read them. No, I'm just kidding. I <laughs> <Right>. did. <laughs> <laughs> well, too bad. I didn't focus. I have no idea what they said. So what I did was read, but I have no clue what they said because right. I have ADD. No, I'm just kidding. I read them. <laughs> so Kelly... Reads every book she can find that's been published. Now, keep in mind, this is 1998, right? So, mm-hmm. so you're not Googling it. Well, you are, you could. but you're, you're using up dial-up internet. You're using limited resources that are available to you on 1998 internet. Um, so what books have been read, what has been published, what she can find is kind of limited. What edition of the encyclopedia do you right. have? What are you working you on? Kelly scoured the internet. She looked high and low. She read all of the books about Issy's condition because according to the interweb experts, the clock was ticking. You see, Kelly came across this book and the book is called Let Me Hear Your Voice, A Family's Triumph Over Autism. The book tells a story of a little girl named Anne Marie, a beautiful doe-like child who, much like Issy, started out a happy, bubbly infant and before age two, age two turned inward. This is commonly... Um, observed in autistic children, um, known as regressive autism, though it's not clear how much it reflects developmental right turn and how it reflects the emotional experience of parents who often find themselves longing for that original bright child that they knew only briefly. As the book describes, Anne-Marie is ultimately rescued from finger quotes, the torments of autism. She was rescued. And reborn into a finger quote, normal life. Okay. Through intense therapy called applied behavior analysis. They call it ABA for short. However, her intentions 
quickly led her away from educating herself on raising and supporting an autistic child to curing her child uh, from the hells of autism. Okay. Oh no. Well, the magic number, the age of rebirth from the hells of autism was age five. So as far as Kelly was concerned, the child she read about in the book had recovered, right? Like she had been pulled from the very depths of darkness and given this whole new life. I could see this kind of shit being published in 1998. Like fucking this shit could be published right here, right now. Like, so Kelly has proof, right? In her mind, proof that this child has been healed, recovered, cured of autism. So she found a child psychiatrist and set to the task of improving life for Issy. Now, at the time, the only proof the program worked was a study by a guy who developed it, (laughs) which showed among 19 preschoolers who received the intense therapy, nine had astonishing gains. Since the three independent research groups have verified that therapy does in fact reliably abate autism symptoms in small subsets of children, although it's impossible to tell which child will respond from the outset. Um, One study showed nine seemingly cured, I'm using finger quotes, not that you guys can see these, cured (laughs) children. Well, that was enough for Kelly. That, that was proof. So for three years, she became fully immersed in being Issy's full-time teacher. She enrolled her other children in daycare and often sent them on the evenings and the weekends to like houses of relatives. From the minute Issy woke up until she went to bed, Kelly subjected her to minor routines to rigid control. Kelly would say things like, touch your nose. And when Issy get you know, she'd reach up, touch her nose. She would get a little prize. If Issy wanted something, she had to look Kelly in the eye to get it. Now, sometimes Kelly would make the same request 10 to 20 times a day. Being an autistic child, they find it hard to tune in, follow instructions. And for fuck's sake, eye contact really is a big one. Much less do it all day. And the same fucking thing multiple times a day. The kid was probably like, come on. Dude, by the end of the day, Kelly's begging Issy to do these tasks as though their lives depended on it. Like, for the love of Jesus Christ, touch your nose. Well, and she's isolating her from other kids, too. That's not good because isn't, like... Well, you want want your child... I realize that your child is going to need a lot of your attention and you want to devote a lot of time to curing your child from the hells of autism. However, your child still needs to be integrated into family life. They need to be around their siblings. If you want a child to learn and mimic the the behavior of a child who's a little bit more regulated, a child that's a little bit more older, um, you have to have, you have to have them around. Yeah. They learn from seeing the other kids do it. Like my little one, of course, she learned, she's learning a lot of higher things than her grade because she hears us work with the other kids right because she's around them if we isolated them she wouldn't be that way but she hears them working on times tables so she soaks it in right and can spit out and this is true like even if you wanted to break it down on like the most primal level puppies learn to behave from their mothers Mm -hmm. puppies like monkeys learn to forage and take care of themselves and groom themselves by watching Mm -hmm. monkey see monkey do exactly you know what i mean that's i am a monkey see monkey do person right so if she had all three of her kids there and told all three of her kids to touch their nose 
That one's it, probably more likely. Sure. I don't know how it is with autism if it's if it's the same, but I would think. Well, my experience with autism is small and brief. Right. I did have I do have, not did have. I do have a coworker that I did work with 40 hours a week that is on the spectrum and his children are also autistic. So I had a deeper understanding and a, a more knowledgeable um, education from somebody that's on the spectrum as well as somebody that deals with, with children yeah. who are on different sides. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So my, my education is not great. It is not deep. But what I do have, I feel like I got it from a good source. Yeah. Um, Kelly would later admit that her relationship became, you know, what should have been all about the love became all about the learning. The ABA can be really disorienting for parents because it's, it's entirely mechanic. It's uh, mechanistic. Sorry. I wasn't going to say that right. It's not psychological or emotional. It's like, according to its principles, autistic children need not understand why on like ongoing Uh, eye contact breeds trust and warmth and you know what I mean? Yeah. They just need to know that they do it. So it's not a, it's not a, a, it's not teaching them to understand. It's teaching them to mimic what other people do so that they can be read as warm and trusting, Mm -hmm. not shifty and odd. And you know what I mean? But they're not doing these behaviors because they understand them. They're doing them because you fucking demanded it. So, right. And monkey see monkey do. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not Not a natural behavior. It's a, it really just, it's not dude. You're making a little robot. Right. Well, so then it becomes, you know, then it's that ingrained behavior. So for this reason, it can feel robotic and unnatural. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's exactly. What, exactly. That's what Kelly called it. Worse, all day, the parent is telling the child what to do and it's shit the kid doesn't want to do, which makes the parent seem really antagonistic. Like you, you've become the villain. Like I've with kids at home all day long. I know that you can't sit and nag all day long. You've got to give them a certain amount of free time. You've got to get them breaks. And I don't know how long she was on her, but if she's isolating her, sending the other kids to school, and then she's at home. The other thing that Kelly had noted was, what if I accidentally give her a hug after she was screaming? Have I just reinforced the screaming? The most natural thing in the world I had to be careful about. I had to be careful about. I spent all this time teaching her instead of just having her sit in my lap and rocking her and enjoying her. So what kind of child does that create? What kind of mother does that make? So she knows, like looking back, and I'm not trying to down on her because being a parent is hard. And then trying, she's trying to do all the right things. Right. But she's kind of not, and she won't know that until... It's too late. But none of it's too. It's hard. Parenting is hard. Kelly still believed that the therapy might work, that something would click, and one day they would find Isabel was there. A happier, chattier child who didn't hit would look mom in the eyes and say things like, I love you, and not just have it be, I love you. Well, if the symptoms of autism do dramatically recede thanks to ABA, it'll usually happen before the child turns five. So after three years of hard and relentless work, Issy was more communicative 
And she was open to learning, but she did not become indistinguishable from her typical developing peers. Still, the night before Issy's five, five, her fifth birthday, her fifth birthday, her fifth birthday, <laughs> Kelly stayed up all night at the kitchen table, convinced that she only had 24 hours to save her daughter. Because the clock is that fucking right on. I, dude, I think that. I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Kelly had really started her ABA teaching during those internet dial-up days. Mm -hmm. And during these days, a Google search would have turned up a hundred of what the autism community would call the autism miracle stories, where, you know, these beautiful boys and girls come emerging out of their affliction as though they're being like passed through winter and they're unthawing from, you know... The winters of autism that, you know what I mean? It's, it's fucking, it's, it's absurd, but there's a book that Andrew Solomon wrote, um, and it's called far from the tree. He would talk about the same thing. Like the, these beautiful boys and girls would come emerging from their shell, like a frozen, you know, thawing out from a, a winter's frost. And they would turn into these beautiful, glowing, fresh, you know, trees of ecstasy and full of charm. And he said, I have a son with Asperger's and I've struggled with the lessons of these stories myself. Is, is it my job to fix him or do I fix the world so it can accept him the way that he is? The miracle stories inspire intervention and they thrive in an era that lionizes the parent as a hero and the parent as a martyr who are presumed to possess more than a doctor or a teacher or an expert. The deepest knowledge about what is best for a child. Well, 40 years ago, an impossible child would have been sent to an institution, mm -hmm. right? Which is probably... <laughs> Dude... And nobody would have, like, if you had a child like Isabel, and, and, and you're going you're gonna to hear some shit, right? If you had an unruly child like Isabel, they would go to an institution full-time, and nobody would bat an eyelash, and nobody would object, right? Well, yeah. our society doesn't believe in those institutions anymore, and which is probably good since most of them probably would have just sedated a kid like Isabel and left him to rot in a fucking padded room. Right, yeah. Instead, they believe Jeez. difficult kids should be integra integrated into mainstream. And what does that mean, though? Like, in practice, it's up to a parent to save them, right? Teach them. ABA has been deeply criticized by the autism community due to its strict adherence to obedience without ever considering the feelings or the person with autism. Okay, that's where you fucked up right there. Right there. Everybody has feelings. Everybody's feelings are valid. You have to... Just because, just because an individual isn't able to express them the way that you want them to doesn't mean they don't exist. Right. Well, and like after she cried, the part where she said, she, when she cries, did I, do I hug her? And, and whatever she said, like, you know, if, she's, if she's screaming and throwing a fit and I'm trying to console her and I hug her, am I giving her positive reinforcement? Am I teaching her to act this way? Because I can't. I, I, I feel like Kelly felt as though she could not communicate effectively with her daughter. No, but if <clears> she <throat> hugs her right. and lets the child know that she loves her, 
That's a big deal. It's not saying that your behavior is okay, but it's saying my, I love you. Right. I love you. Hold you, give you hugs. After I get mad at my kids, I make it a point to say, I got mad at you because of this, you know but I love you. It, it is, it is really difficult with an autistic child to touch. There are mm-hmm. certain touches that are good touch. There are certain weights mm-hmm. and feelings that are good and some that are not. Um, for instance, I'm not saying that my son is autistic. I suspect that he may be on the spectrum. My son is not a, he's, he's atypical. Okay. He doesn't really like to be touched. His hugs are very brief, but he'll sleep under a 50 pound weighted blanket. I'm the same way, but I, I, I hug my kids, but Anybody else? If I don't somebody like to be wants, touched. Yeah, if somebody's like, do you need a hug? I'm like, no, I fucking don't. I need you to stay right there. Hey, man, how you doing? Pat, 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 little but Christian I, side hug action or something. Right, but, but like, I also gen- sleep oh, under fuck. the heavy right. ass blanket. I, I have to have it to like... I have things about me that are a little bit weird. Um, I know that somebody, and we'll talk about this later, but somebody asked me, they were like, is ADD and ADHD on the autism spectrum? And I said, it's not. I said, but we do share a lot of the same symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I can understand where somebody would ask that. I don't think I'm autistic, but what the fuck do I know? Well, Clint's always asked that with Calvin and I'm like, no, I I really don't think he is. I mean, we've had him looked at and all that, but we do share people that are ADD, ADHD, which by the way, it's just ADHD now. There's three different kinds, eh. which you'll find out right after Pluto's a planet again, because they keep changing <laughs> shit. Anyway, right. I don't know what I am. I just they, know that I can't. they being the medical authority have identified a lot of the same things, a lot of the same symptoms. Anyway, I really believe that Kelly had very good intentions as a mother to make life better for her daughter. Every parent longs to hear things like, I love you. They want to hear their chatty laughter from their kids. They dream about what their kids are going to grow up to be and what they're going to accomplish. And I think it's normal for a parent to feel disappointed or hurt when they realize that their child isn't going to be any of the things that they daydreamed about. Right. Is it, is it, is it? Like, you need to have a five-minute funeral and get the fuck over it. Like, I, I think a parent who stews on it and fixates on my child's not going to be quote-unquote normal, then so, you've taken it to an unhealthy place. Okay, I have a niece who was, uh, she had Turner Syndrome and something mm. else with her chromosomes. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what it is, so I'm not going to say it. She died at age eight, I believe. And she was still in a baby carrier. She was the size of a baby. She was, she was tiny. She wasn't over, I don't think in her life she was over 20 pounds, maybe. I don't know. Don't quote me on the, on the pounds, but she was always in a baby carrier and she was never normal, never would be quote normal Normal. ever. She never talked but what they did was they put her in the schools and they loved her and they did everything they could for her short little life until she passed away. Um, and they never heard her say, I love you. They never heard any of that. None of us did. Right. She didn't like to be held either. She, we wanted to love her and hold her. She hated it. She would scream and yell at you. There was one person that could hold her, which was weird, and it was Clint. And he could hold her. 
Oh, weird. And they would sit there and just look at each other and do the thing. And it like, everybody was like, why does she let you hold her? And he would just hold her and she loved it. I don't know what, I don't know what the connection was there, hmm. but there's things that you can do. I mean, yeah, you have a funeral and, and it's sad, but you have to love them for what they can do. Right. Don't love them for what they can't do. So I believe, I, I really believe that Kelly had the bet, like she had good intentions as a mother, but I think that when you realize that your child won't be normal, you need to grieve. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then you need to like sort your fucking self out and move forward. Right. Love them. They're still your child. Um, I'm in no way saying that, you know, this makes a child less than or unlovable or any sort of thing like that. Dude, life's hard. Life's harder yeah. when you're obviously different. If you're neurodivergent, atypical, autism spectrum, like no one wants life Mm-mm. hard for their kids. Mm-mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I get it. Well, Issy's behavioral issues turned from throwing fits, you know, little little tantrums, to fits of rage. And she started getting very violent and very aggressive around age seven, eight. Mm-hmm. Her little terrors turned really violent. Being told no was one of her biggest triggers. Now, that being said, how the fuck do you even go about your day? I don't know. Do you come up with a different word? Please do not engage in that behavior, child. <laughs> Cease and desist your current behaviors pronto. Now. Like, what? what? So... No was one of her biggest triggers. She would become aggressive and violent to acquire tangible things or people. Izzy seemed to fixate on Kelly when she was being violent. And what started as a little child smacking you is now a beast of a human who's thrashing your ass on a daily basis. An eight-year-old can do some damage. Working where I work and knowing what I know, I have seen children beat the shit out of an adult. Mm -hmm. It would shock you. Oh, if I had to go toe-to-toe with my 13-year-old, I'm pretty sure that I would lose. I have seen some shit. Um, you you have no idea how strong a child is until that child is blackout. Mm-hmm. Rage, yep. Well, Issy's rages yielded very, very serious injuries to Kelly. She would bite, scrant, scratch, pinch until blood came. Hair ripping. Now, some people might call that hair pulling. I've watched the videos. This little girl would get a hold of your hair right here, a, a nice tight handful right at your fucking scalp, and then proceed to rip your fucking head around as far as her arm oscillated. Okay? Hard. Jesus. Okay? That isn't hair pulling. No. That's hair ripping. Yeah. Okay? That's the shit that I will fuck you up for. Like, don't pull my hair. I'm a tender head. Yeah, yes, I don't like you that are. shit. If you, and with me admitting that, please understand. I admit that fully knowing that somebody someday might hear that and be like, eh, now oh, I know how to you're kick her a tenderhead. If you pull my hair, be prepared for what happens next because you're not going to like it. The rage monster. Rage, rage, fucking rage. Yep. Yep. So then comes punching and kicking. All of these things were executed with the intent to harm. Per the video footage available to watch of Izzy's terrible rages, I would safely say that she intended to cause maximum damage. 
to her victims. Maximum effort. Maximum effort. That's what it would appear in the video that I have seen. Videos, plural, more than one. Now, that being said, a child who is angry, who has problems emotionally regulating themselves, when they lash out, do they even know how, like, intense, severe, how hard Or is it like a blackout anger type situation where they have no idea what's going on? Yeah, they don't know and they don't care. Or do they just know that this is what yields the response and shit, the result that I'm looking for. How old was she in the videos that she did that? 13 and 14. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Those are like full grown children. Yeah. At that point, you really need to understand that if you're a Jewish man, like if you're a Jewish boy, you're considered a man at the age of 13. Mm-hmm. And if you see the size of some of these children, they look like a dude. My son looked like a fucking adult when he was 13. Well, yours was like six foot something when he was 13. Dude. Calvin's 5'4", and I'm like, Don't let the beard so fool tall? you. He's a child. <laughs> Fuck. Right. Well, Kelly would go on to have another child with her husband, Matt, their third and their final, a girl named Ainsley, who was only 18 months behind Isabel. Kelly was constantly worried about the safety of Ainsley due to Issy's behavior, and she was starting to constantly worry about her own safety. Matt Stapleton, the husband and father, said in an interview that Kelly had become obsessed with her own safety and well-being and described his wife as irrational, that she couldn't fix Issy and that broke her and she never healed. Now, I'm going to have an opinion, okay, about Matt Stapleton because... My personal opinion of Matt Stapleton is that you're a lousy husband. You're a shitty, kitty litter, shitty person. It is my opinion, based on my research and what I have watched in interviews, that Matt Stapleton couldn't have cared less about his wife's mental state, her emotional state, or her physical state. So that right there makes it worse. If she needs somebody to talk to and he won't listen to her. So it's... This is, this is my personal opinion and, and, and I will get into it some more because I don't know. I like, I, I really don't know like how their marriage was, you know, they seem to be happily married. Um, you know what I'm saying? So like maybe at that point, like when he's doing these interviews, he already had a bad taste in his mouth because you know, his wife did try to kill his daughter and so I, I, I don't know, but, but my personal opinion is he could not have cared less. Kelly was looking for a way to cope and vent, and she started a blog called The Status Woe. It's the thestatuswoe.wordpress.com, which um, it still exists, where she would openly and candidly talk about her, her life as a mom with a, a child with special needs and her struggles. The blog itself had some red flags, um, and I believe the blog turned darker as Kelly started to struggle more and more. The blog, like I said, it exists. Go check it out. There's a lot in there that I think is worth looking at. Yeah, I kind of want to go check it out and see what I it spent, says. Yeah, dude, I spent a fair amount of time. Like, I, I actually, I read it all. Some of it more in-depth than, like, other posts. Right, but some you just kind of skim. Yeah, just skim them. The blog is still up. It's maintained by a friend of Kelly's. And if anybody is interested in reading her story firsthand, I do encourage you to go and check that out. So what made Kelly 
irrationally obsessed with her own safety, as Matt so delicately put it. Issy's attacks on her mom were pretty much daily and multiple times a day. Kelly put in her blog that she would do anything to, quote, avoid another ass whooping today, end quote. Whoa. What people didn't know is that Kelly was really downplaying the severity of these attacks. Only a few of her close friends knew, and obviously her asshole husband, Matt. <laughs> asshole Matt. Asshole Matt. Um... I, I, you'll, you'll understand. Um, I intend to put up, um, a lot of photos and shit for this episode because I need people to understand and see. Um, so go check out our social meds, social meds. And I'm going to be sharing, um, the videos and, and things of that nature. Aggression is not a symptom of autism, but the fact that it shows up, um, it like, Hold on. Aggression is not a symptom of autism, but the fact that the two show up together makes some sense. Autistic kids generally have trouble communicating with what they want or need or find the right way to connect with other people. More severely autistic children um, that have more trouble communicating, although that doesn't necessarily mean that they're more violent, a roundup of existing research shows that autistic youth... Um, eight to 32% exhibit disruptive, irritable, or aggressive behavior. Certain conditions can make the aggressive, uh, more severe, a lower IQ, higher impulsivity, hyperactivity. Hello, anybody in this room, your friend that you're staring at. (laughs) I, I I don't have a low IQ. I don't have a fucking badass like Mensa IQ, but the impulsivity, the hyperactivity, the like trouble empathizing, angry all the fucking time aggressive yeah. okay mine aren't all of those same things but so yeah if a child is prone to aggression and he or she might be you know a little bit harder to control through during puberty the kids are then bigger and when they're enraged they seem to have superhuman adrenaline field field adrenal adrenal Ooh. a la 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 long a la 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 long 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 Holy fuck. So kind of like I was discussing before, I have seen these kids do this where they end up thumping the shit out of a grown adult man. Mm -hmm. And you're wondering how an 11 or 12 year old kid pulled this off. Well, this is why when these kids become so enraged, they become superhuman and the adrenaline filled little body goes berserk. Like I kind of feel like maybe we have done war all wrong. Like maybe we should, maybe our little soldiers should have been like prepared with snack packs and fucking juice boxes. And then you like tell them, no, take away their tablet and fucking send them to war. Because even children who are not autistic, atypical, ADHD, watch some of these little kids when they go toe to toe with their brother and sister and they're fucking pissed off. Holy shit. My girls can throw down. It is fucking imp. Fiergas. It's fucking right impressive. They will thump the sh- Like, I literally watched your daughter headbutt her sister. Mm-hmm. Like, Scottish head kiss. No, what do they call that? The Glasgow kiss. Oh. Fucking bap right on the fucking bridge of her nose. Do you want to know which one it was that executed headbutt and who received? I would say Tyler executed. She did! She don't fuck with her, man. She I is really, calm until she's not, and then you're dead. So you're done. Addison's an asshole. She's an asshole. She is an asshole. And she's outwardly an asshole. Tyler has always been the soft-spoken, delicate, dainty little 
flower. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So when she behaves like that and she gets caught, she's immediately like, oh shit. Like, you know what I mean? But she doesn't take shit from anybody, which but I love. But she is dangerous. So Issy's fits of rage would subsequently put Kelly in the hospital, not once or twice, but several times. Kelly had been pushed down the stairs, had fractured cheekbone, three traumatic brain injuries, multiple black eyes, concussions. She started to experience severe memory loss and while being attacked while driving down the road with Ainsley in the car as well when Issy was only 11. When Kelly pulled the car over to handle the situation, Issy knocked her mother unconscious. Kelly ended up in the hospital that day as well. Police had to be called on on Issy on more than one occasion to subdue her. Kelly had reached out to the community for support as well. She She needed help finding help for Issy. She started to target her little sister and Kelly had to put a stop to it. This is according to Kelly. A local TV station did a feature on Kelly looking for help for Issy. WWMT reporter Andy Dominini was the first to cover anything about Issy and draw attention to her case. This was one of Kelly's last hopes in getting any support they both desperately needed. Kelly would later go on to tell Dr. Phil in her prison interview that she was really afraid that Issy was going to kill her. Several of Kelly's besties who were also interviewed on Dr. Phil agreed Issy would eventually kill Kelly. Even if it was an accident, Kelly was in danger. They feared for her to be alone in the house with her daughter. And even though there had been a social worker and a little bit of hired help present in the house with Kelly, it didn't stop Issy from lashing out and continuing the attacks on Kelly. Matt and his family would later say that Kelly had help in the house, that she wasn't really alone with Issy. I feel like I have seen enough cell phone cameras, cameras, Surveillage camera. According to the previous surveillage of the the camera, it's consistuously decided that there was no maritable problem. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, the camera. Oh, Jesus. All right. I feel like I have seen enough footage from cell phone camera, um, and I've seen footage from. surveillance cameras in centers in schools educational Mm -hmm. type setting that even while kelly was being pummeled in that video it doesn't matter who was there she was still being injured right who's gonna save her if i I mean Those are the cries of 46-year-old Kelly Stapleton as her then 13-year-old daughter, Izzy, beat her mom bloody during a violent rage. So during the video that you just heard, that you just heard, if there were, if there was an aide or a social worker or someone in the house that was supposed to be there to mediate or alleviate, I feel like it wasn't enough. Um, she's, you know, from age 10 to 13, life in the Stapleton house was a fucking war zone. And so even if she wasn't alone in the house, even if there was help in the house, it wasn't enough. There were no small tantrums. Okay. It was said that 
Issy's pupils would become dilated, her skin was clammy, and Elvis would leave the building. Kelly said, think of the scariest movie you know, like Demon Possession, this intense rage embodied in this sweet little girl. Kelly had been knocked out in her kitchen, and when Ainsley found her, had called Matt for help. Kelly woke up in the hospital feeling nauseous. After that, she started to show signs of concussions, forgetting words, forgetting thoughts, having migraines. At this point, Matt agreed with Kelly that they needed professional help for Isabel. Finally. Like I said, I'm trying desperately to maintain a civil and agreeable attitude towards Matt Stapleton because I don't know what, what they really you know, what they discussed, what he disagreed with, what he agreed with. I do know that at this point it was agreed that Issy needed more help than what could be provided at home. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. again, my, my personal dislike for Matt is I feel like he In my opinion, it appeared that Matt didn't care because it wasn't him. Well, and he wasn't home all the time. He only saw certain little things and was probably like, well, if you would do this or if you would do that. And she's probably like, well, you're not fucking home with her all day long. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's easy to shrug something off when it's not happening to you. Right? right? Yeah. Because you're not in the thick of it. So... Kelly and Matt found help within the Great Lakes Center for Autism and Treatment and Research in Portage, Michigan. The center specialized in treatment for autistic children that were aggressive and violent. Issy was one of their first female clients, as violence generally runs in um, boys when it comes to autism. Autism actually skews towards boys more than girls as well. Mm. Issy's treatment was essentially a reward system, and it was much like the reward system that Kelly tried to implement as a toddler. The center, however, treats dozens of kids at a time and uses positive reinforcement to get aggressive behaviors under control. Issy would receive tokens at first every two minutes to keep her hands quiet, and every half an hour she could trade them in at the Izzy store, and she could go buy things that she wanted. Okay. Okay. So it was... It was a reward system, but there was shorter duration. Mm -hmm. There were greater rewards. There were different facets of what Great Lakes did to make it successful. The program worked and Issy performed. There were, however, some hiccups. There were attacks on the staff that led to threats of Issy being sent home early due to the severity of the incident. The staff was able to work through these attacks and continued with her programming. After Issy had gone inpatient for seven months, the insurance had stopped payment for the what treatment. What the hell? Yeah. Why? Oh, no. In one of the visits Kelly makes to Great Lakes to participate in the treatment with Issy... There was an incident which led to an attack on both Kelly and the employees that were supervising. The incident was caught on cameras at the center. The staff assured Matt and Kelly that as the integrated is he back into family life, this would happen and that it would subside. This was the final process of her treatment. The insurance company, however, saw this and decided that Izzy was no longer responding to the treatment. And therefore, they cut the funds. (laughs) You would think that they would want to do more well insurance companies are uh bottom dollar people yeah generally speaking 
The integration back home was supposed to be slow and steady, but that didn't happen either. At one point, Kelly had been prepared and considering fighting the insurance company to keep Issy in the program until it was fully completed, but her heart also ached for her child to be home. She often talked about wanting to be able to tuck all three of her kids in at night and that she wanted them all under the same roof. So she made the decision to bring Issy home before Labor Day. Kelly thought that Issy should come home in time for the school year. She felt like um, the center had started paying less attention to Issy once there was a second girl that had come into the center and that she would be better off at her local school where she could work on presidents and state capitals and real math and stay academically, you know, at the grade level that she was supposed to be at. Issy wanted to come home too, and for days she had been telling people at Great Lakes, Issy comes home August 30th. Oh. Issy will go to Frankfurt, Alberta schools. Issy will sleep in Issy's bed, no more Great Lakes. Oh. I know. While Kelly and the family was excited to see Issy and bring her home, there were hesitations as well. Kelly had texted her friend during the three-hour ride to go pick up her daughter. She said, I'm scared. Vicky, the friend, receiving the text, asked if there was anything she could do to help. Kelly jokingly responded, trade kids with me. But her fears were validated when they arrived home. The family got out of the van and started towards the house when Issy reached behind and hit Kelly. According to Matt Stapleton, it was, quote, barely a hit. This hit barely made Kelly stumble. A glancing blow. What the hell, though? This is, this Why is what... Why is that okay? Sorry. I know. Matt said it was a little bit of hair pulling, but Kelly just couldn't let it go. Now, remember that, okay? I want you to, to hold on to that little thing. Kelly just couldn't let it go. Of course she can't because she doesn't have time to get over it before the next one happens. And holy shit, when somebody, that's, that's not okay in it was a way. It was a glancing blow. It didn't make me stumble. It didn't knock me unconscious, give me a concussion or fracture my cheek. I'm okay. Well, many of you have heard me say this before, and its expectations are nothing more than just premeditated resentments. It's funny that you say that, because I was thinking that very thing when she's like, I just want my kids home. I just want them to tuck them all in. Like, your expectations are getting ahead of you, woman. This is especially true in Kelly's case. Now, she had foolishly daydreamed that weeks or even months would go by without any violence from Isabel. For most of Izzy's stay... Kelly had been receiving daily graphs from the center that showed a steep decline in Izzy's worrisome behaviors. The graphs made Kelly dream. She pictured a life very different from the one she had been living before, where, you know, she would spend her afternoons and her weekends avoiding making eye contact with Izzy. <laughs> or telling, you know, she would no longer be um, telling Ainsley that she couldn't go to a friend's house because Izzy is too attached and if you leave, she'll throw a fit. Um... You know, or she pictured being able to tell Matt that she wanted to go have a cup of coffee and spend some quality time with her husband and all three of her teenage children would be okay home alone for a couple of hours. Yeah. Later, Matt would go on to say that the hit at the door was entirely expected. He said that the center had warned them that Izzy would test them as she adjusted to being home again and they would likely see some of those old behaviors for a little while. But when Kelly was asked, 
That first hit was not a test, and it was not expected, but a clue that the fantasy she had built on her brighter, livable future as Izzy's mom was an illusion. Oh, I don't... I don't know how to feel right now, because Matt's like, well, they told us, they warned us, she knew it was coming, but then she's living in some fantasy world that like okay we took her here everything's fine just like she was going to cure her in the next 24 hours before she turns five we have 12 hours left before she turns five so here's here's my thing if you're getting all of these progress reports on your kid and you're hearing all these great things and you're seeing all these improvements and then you go to visit and you get your ass kicked right and then you leave And then you start getting these progress reports and your kid's doing all great and they're not being aggressive and the bad behaviors are are declining and, and everything. I would, I would, I would teeter on a state of cautiously optimistic. I'm such a pessimist though, that like. I always go into it with the worst expectations, and that way, if it's better than that, then I'm happy. Right. But I'm, uh, that's, but I've heard that's not the way to be. I don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't know how I would feel about it either. I think that, you know, Izzy was really home, like excited to come home, and the car ride home was really good. And they went three whole hours and no incidents, and then unprovoked, she hits Kelly as they get to the house. Like, I think I would be a little disheartened. Yeah. Here's my thing though. Hear me out on this. You tell me if you agree or disagree. Okay. Right. Okay. If Matt was totally expecting the hit and he knew that it was coming and was prepared for the violence, then maybe he should have saddled up next to Issy instead of Kelly. Exactly. Those were my thoughts. Exactly. If he knew it was going to happen, why was he not there to help out? My thing is, it's fucking obvious that Issy singles out her mom, who is smaller and has been her punching bag for years. So if you know this, as the man of the house, you should have been doing what was best for your wife and your daughter. You should have been helping maintain a safe zone for both Kelly and Issy. Mm -hmm. And you should have been close enough to Isabel to thwart any attack And, you know, if you couldn't stop her, at least try to shield Kelly. Right. Maybe if you get in the way and you show your daughter that that's not okay, and you, you get, you know, lead by example, dude. Exactly. Be there for your wife. Like, I can't believe that he's like, oh, it wasn't that bad of a hit. Your wife just got hit no matter what. End of story. Most husbands would be like, hey, no. Don't the, hit. The, right. My wife got hit. We're worried. What do we, what can we do? So this is, this is what infuriates me because I feel like Matt Stapleton was a person of, if it's not me, oh well. It wasn't that bad. Like how many, how many serious injuries does your wife have to sustain before you see that it's an issue? apparently he has limitless. How many times do, does the mother of your children have to be hospitalized before you decide to protect her instead of shrugging it off and explaining it away? You know, I don't even know what's in his brain. I don't even, I don't even get it. If that happened to me one time and my husband didn't do anything about it, I think I would flip out. 
I'd be like, it's, what the <clears throat> fuck are you doing here then? Go. Goodbye. See you later if you don't want shit to do with this. Because he should be protecting you. That's the person that's supposed to protect you. Be on your side. Help you out. I think it would probably break my heart for my husband to have such a underwhelming mm-hmm. response to abuse like that. Yeah, I can't get over it. I can't get over it when he was like, it, it didn't rock her. Like, it wasn't that hard. It wasn't that bad of a it, yeah. hit. Like, she didn't fall down. She wasn't unconscious. She had all her teeth. It's fine. In one of the videos recorded at the Great Lakes Center, it took three adults to subdue Issy and pull her off of a staff. It should also be discussed that Issy is not a small girl. Oh, I was wondering what the size was. At 14 years old, she was a very stocky, tallish girl, same size as her mom, Mm. and heavier set. It is one thing to take a hit from a waif of a teen, but it's quite another to take a hit from somebody that's well built like me. Because I'm a goddamn brick house. There's these two girls on Calvin's hockey team that are about my height, and they're like the like brick shit house. Like they're not fat, but they are solid, and they will fuck your shit. Which they do. They spend a lot of time in the penalty box, and I love those girls very much. But yeah, if she's uh, like that, like fuck. So even a glancing blow from Izzy could have been enough. It could have been painful. Oh, for sure. So no big deal though. At least you weren't knocked unconscious. Okay. Jesus. So Kelly had started making arrangements for Isabel to return to the classroom prior to bringing her home from Great Lakes. Izzy would have a dedicated aide that would be with her during the day, and her own father, Matt, who was the principal at the high school, would also be in the building with her throughout the day as well. However, the superintendent contacted Kelly the Thursday before Izzy came home and advised they would not be able to accommodate her. Many parents had expressed their concern about having Izzy in the classroom with their students. They also worried that Izzy would need too much from the faculty for her specialized reward system on top of a regular curriculum. Even with a full-time aide, the district declined to have Izzy back. Several of the parents suggested that since Kelly was so prepared, and you know, you always deal with Izzy, why don't you just homeschool her? I don't think I would suggest homeschooling her, but I can see where people are concerned. Like, can you imagine being her aide and knowing what she does to her mom? How are they going to find somebody to be her aide? You would literally have to hire somebody like John or Spencer. Mm-hmm. Like, you would need a huge bulking person to be able to stop her from hurting somebody else, hurting them, mm-hmm. and handle her. Yeah, So in the video, like I'm actually going to show it to you now, um, because (laughs) you got to see this fucking shit, dude. It is insane. This is what I'm talking about when I say hair ripping. She's not pulling hair. You're fucking ripping it out from the scalp. Good God. And then she goes to turn on this other man. Luckily, he doesn't have hair. Right. It, this is at the Grand Lakes. Great Lakes. Great Lakes. Great right. Lake Grand Lakes. I'm just going to make shit up. It's fine. So now that you've seen that video, you understand Izzy's size. 
Okay. Where do they find that video if they want to go look at it? If you want to find these videos, you can go to YouTube, look up Kelly Stapleton and her videos of interviews, the footage of her and the staff being attacked at Great Lakes. Is that what that, what is that one called? It's, it just look up Kelly Stapleton okay. and it'll pop up. And we'll post them obviously, but if somebody's driving right. or doesn't have Facebook, I figured we'd tell them where to look at it. Cause it's not like we can play audio cause there isn't any. Not on that Or one. add a video cause. So. I bet I could add a link to that video. In the show notes. Do that. Link that video, bitch. So one of the things um, that you can watch, and I do encourage people to watch, is the two-part special that was done by Dr. Phil. Um, Now, a lot of people disagreed with Dr. Phil's take and Mm -hmm. assessment, and Matt Stapleton's family also very much disagreed with um, the way that Izzy was portrayed in the episode. Um, you know, they, they said that Dr. Phil, you know, repeatedly played the videos of Issy being violent and the audio of Kelly being attacked, but they didn't talk about like the good things about Issy. Um, and I get that because, you know, you, you want this child to be fairly portrayed, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But, um... I think it was a good, I think it was a good episode. It was very eye-opening. With a lot of kids too, when I bet she's the same way, when dad's around, they're different. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder if she was, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. So Kelly was completely devastated at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Matt being the principal at the school, um, when, you know, they don't expect his children to get special treatment. And he opted to pull himself out of um, all of the, the inner workings of Izzy returning to school. He only participated as a parent. So any of the decisions, any of the meetings, any of the anything that took place with the superintendent and the district and the parents, he, he didn't know parent. about. Okay. Right. He was finding out same time as Kelly as a parent, not a okay. principal. Um, she was wiped out at this point. She's Mm -hmm. battle weary. And as she told the New York times magazine, um, she had posted at the time on her blog status quo. And it was a, a gif of a couple going in for a desperate hug. Kelly told the story of the fateful school meeting as a major event that greased the wheels of the train wreck, train wreck, AKA trying to kill her kid. After the meeting, Matt got on the phone and was trying to figure out other options. Kelly, meanwhile, started rummaging around through the drawers. The room that they were in was used in the cafeteria, and Kelly was looking for a knife so she could just plunge it into her heart. Oh, my God. She said, I was in so much pain because of the disappointment, and I really felt if I should go to Jesus and just ask him, grab him by the lapels, and say, this little girl needs help, and I can't do it. You must. Kelly had considered renting an apartment three hours from her family near the Great Lakes Center so that Izzy could return to the center every day for outpatient school. Okay. Um, But Kelly greatly feared living alone with Isabel. I can imagine. And it's not unreasonable to think that Izzy would seriously injure Kelly again. But what if Izzy hurt someone else in the apartment complex or herself? What if Isabel knocked Kelly out unconscious and accidentally started a fire? What if she left the apartment? 
there were just so many things that piled up and stacked up on Kelly's, you know, this is, this isn't going to be, this isn't going to work. This isn't. So Kelly had completely abandoned the idea to return to Portage for school. Um, in recounting her story, Kelly slid from her mundane to the apocalyptic pretty seamlessly. She is unusually honest and often sarcastic and funny, so it always came as a surprise when she would slip in these little visions of Jesus and heaven. Matt's family, who never got along with Kelly, saw this as skillful acting. But it didn't seem like that to the person that interviewed her from the Times Magazine. What he found most unusual and possibly the scariest was the way that she was an the way that she was able to fully inhabit a year later the same mindset she had the week of the crime. If it was a drama, it was very real to her. Now keep that in mind for later. That makes a lot more sense now that you say that his family never liked her. Like mm-hmm. maybe even before they had kids, if they never liked her, of course they're going to be like, well, she's doing this wrong. She brought this on herself. Don't don't put yourself in her shoes for any second of how the fuck do you take care of a kid like thank that? Thank you. Thank you. Can I can I get a walk a mile in somebody else's motherfucking shoes? Right. Like probably I, she didn't do the right things, but how do you know? You don't. You don't. You don't. And the the age old, well, if it was my I, when I have kids, if that was my kid, shut up, bitch. No, you don't know. If you don't was, know. Yeah, you can say that all day long. That Sunday it was raining, September third, two thousand. Kelly drove Issy and Ainsley and the aide the mile to Matt's school to use the indoor track. So this is the incident that I was describing to you guys where she was attacked in the car. Just out of nowhere, Issy pulls my hair and starts hitting me pretty hard around my head and my face. Kelly was on the ground and a few people managed to pull Issy away. Kelly was crushed by the episode. She said... Um, she started speaking in present tense as if she were back on the track floor. I don't know what to do. She said, I feel like God should have picked somebody else to be her mom. Oh, so before she got up from the ground, Kelly said that she had caught a glimpse of Ainsley, who's only 18 months younger and much smaller than Isabel, who occasionally had to hide herself under a bed or lock herself in a car to avoid her older sister She says, I see Ainsley and I think I can't stay here. She won't be safe. And I don't know what to do. And I know there's tragedy coming and I don't know what it looks like. Oh, good God. How old is the older one? Didn't, weren't there three kids? There's an older brother, McEwen. Mm -hmm. And I am unsure how I want to say he's like two, three years older than Izzy. So on Sunday night after the track is incident or maybe on labor day kelly says she doesn't remember exactly she came up with this plan after she conceived it this plan would ensure that ainsley would never get hit on her wedding day mcewen her son could finally have his girlfriend over it would allow matt to be worry-free at work and start saving some money and then she told the the reporter interviewing her recounting her vision we will all be done completely with autism Oh, good God. Oh, no. So this is what she wrote, okay, on on her blog. She's going to be 100% happy. She is going to be 100% Isabel, and I cannot wait to see that child. 
I'm going to run with her in a grassy field and we're going to wrestle and play and visit our animals who are in heaven. I'm going to ask her what she wants to be when she grows up and I can't wait. I am excited and I am relieved. Nobody's going to be hurt anymore and all of our struggles are going to be... Oh, I'm going to cry. Yeah, this is making me all <laughs> do that. I got chills head to toe. <clears throat> all of our struggles are going to be over. We are going to paradise and we're going to be there in a short time and I am happy and I cannot wait. Okay. I'm, so, on I Monday... I saying okay because like I, I don't know. know what else to say so I'm just like, okay. On Monday night, Kelly caught up all the laundry. At bedtime, she told McEwen she was really proud of the man that he was becoming and he should always listen to his father. For Ainsley, she ran to the car to get a rubber bracelet that said, Remember to Love. She measured all the kids on the growth chart, something she hadn't done in a while. And she answered joking because they said their prayers and Matt said, as he often does, I'm lucky to be your dad. Because it was obviously egotistical, she would say, you're lucky to have me as a mom. On her Facebook page that night, she wrote, my babies are all all in bed, new adventures tomorrow. Jesus Christ. She's crossed the line. She woke up Tuesday to a bright blue sky. She took the kids to school and she texted the workers who were scheduled to help take care of Izzy at the house that they had the morning off. She got Izzy dressed and then packed up their old 70s van and she grabbed a mattress that they had in the garage, threw it in the back of the car. She had taken um, a pillowcase from each of her kids' bed, matched shirt, and all the stuff for s'mores and two hibachi grills that she claims she had bought a few days earlier. Speaking of that day, she slipped into the present tense. I'm so excited for where we're going because we're going to be in heaven by noon. And that's when she was talking to the reporter? She did that? Okay. Oh, shit. For the first time in my life, I'm going to be able to have a real conversation with her and see her and get to know her without the the perseverations and the aggression. In her real voice, not this robot voice. A conversation she imagined would go something like, Issy, Mommy, you know how much we love you, right? You know how hard we tried. Yes. And you know that everything we did, we did because we loved you. Yes. Were you happy? Even though you had perseverations and aggressions, were you happy? Yes. Did you love us? Yes. Whoa. Kelly drove the van down a path where she had been hiking with a friend and parked it in this um, secluded woody spot. Outside the van, she lit the grills and made s'mores. And when Issy asked for a second one, she, you betcha. She gale, <coughs> Kelly gave Issy four Risperidol. This is um, Izzy's nighttime dose of medicine that helps her sleep and okay. helps with the aggression. She gave her four times the regular dose. And she like slipped it in her, in her. I don't know. S'mores or. It did not specify. When Issy was full and tired, Kelly arranged the blankets in the extra pillowcases and Matt's shirt on the mattress. She pulled out the grills with the coals still smoldering in the space in between the front and middle seats. She shut the van doors so the space would fill with carbon monoxide. Issy liked to list things. So they started talking about what they might pack on a trip to Florida. Towels bathing suits, sunglasses. They talked about all their pets and then they laid down nose to nose and Kelly said, I love you, Izzy. And 
Issy said, I love you, mommy. Which Kelly explained is a trained response, but I think she means it. And then they fell asleep. Or so Kelly says. So, are you ready for me to shit on your whole parade? Um, no. The end. Goodbye. (laughs) The mother and the child did not die that Labor Day weekend in 2013, as Kelly planned. Police found Kelly and Issy after they had been made, after they had been made missing for, that's how this was written, been made missing, for a few hours. Now, up until this point, I may have persuaded you to sympathize with Kelly, or at least open the door for some understanding of a desperate woman. Well, I'm going to dump some shit on you and shake this up really quick. Why? 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 Now, Kelly had told her friend that they were going to this area to go hiking, Right. And when they didn't return home and Kelly hadn't answered phone calls and texts, they had the basic location of where they were going to be. So Kelly's friend, Lisa, had reached out to her ex-husband, who was an officer of the law. And she says, my friend is missing. And here is where they're supposed to be. I have gone here before to go hiking with her. Go look. Maybe they got attacked by a bear. Uh, mountain lion. Well, the officer, what the officer found is not what Kelly described. Because see, when the officer got there, he found Kelly and Issy were not nose to nose, but Issy was in the front seat, strapped into her seat belt, foaming at the mouth. Her skin was burning hot. Her mouth and her throat were raw like hamburger. She was unconscious and dying from carbon monoxide poisoning. Kelly, on the other hand, was found in the back of the van in her underwear, with her skin cool to the touch as she laid on the mattress she placed in the cargo bay. She wasn't disoriented, let alone unconscious or foaming at the mouth. Her carbon monoxide poisoning level was substantially lower than Issy's, Kelly had claimed this was because she had left the van to obtain more charcoal. Oh, my God. Wow. And that's when you put her in seatbelt, is it? Yeah, no? Kelly explained that she may not have succumbed to the poison the way her daughter did because she sleeps, quote, buried under the covers with my face buried in pillows. Oh, my God. It's still going to get in there. And it must have protected her. Uh Uh-huh. Kelly was coherent in the ambulance, attempting to refuse treatment from the emergency services, stating that she was supposed to be in heaven with Issy. Now, Kelly continued to tell emergency emergency medical personnel and Child Protective Services, as well as her family, the same story, that she was taking Issy to heaven. Except there were a few shifts in the story that did not go unnoticed by the Stapleton family. The Stapleton family is close, very tight, an extended Irish Catholic clan that Kelly never fit in. Mm. On Christmas Day, Matt would take the kids to his mother's house and Kelly would stay home or visit a friend. Their criticisms over her over the years were not unusual. Her house was too messy. She never did the right thing with her children. She spent her time blogging and starting Vanity Press in effort to get famous instead of making money to help Matt. She said it was outrageous things... Okay, Kelly would joke, right? And say outrageous things like she could probably raise money for Izzy herself, but she was too old for porn. 
Dude, it's funny, right? I would say that. I would say it. I said that the other day that I'd be a stripper, except for I'm too fat and old. (laughs) After the crime, those failings began to look a little more sinister. How frank do you want me to be, said Ross. Ross is Izzy's aunt and Matt, um, Matt's sister. I don't think she was a mom the way I am a mom or you would be a mom. She loved her kids, but only as an extension of herself. She had no time for the dreary routine of motherhood, and she thrived on drama. Being the autism mom was alluring for Kelly for so long as heroics were possible, but once it became clear that Issy would never be fixed, Ross said that Kelly slipped into the equally alluring role as a victim. In Ross's full interview, Kelly never intended to die that day. She wanted to land exactly where she is now, at the center of an exquisitely heart-trending daytime talk show-worthy drama. You know what? Okay, I didn't want to say it at the beginning because it was before I knew it was about a kid. When I first saw the post, I was like, this person is looking for attention, but then I felt like an asshole, so I didn't say it. And now I really do feel it. At this moment, don't look at me like that. I know you've got more in your sleeve. I do. God damn you. I know. Kelly is smart enough and strong enough and determined enough that if she wanted to kill herself, she'd be dead. She loves herself too much. And this was in in reference... Reference? This is in reference to Kelly's blogs. Um... And that statement was made from Matt's mother. Her name is Eileen Stapleton. Um, The references to Kelly's blog was made over and over and over again. In one of the references, it was used how Kelly used to refer to herself in the third person and often talked about her life before Issy. Before she got married, before she became a mother, it was Kelly Stapleton was a graduate of blah, 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 did these great things, like to ski, blah, blah, blah. I talk about that too. I'm like, before I got married and had kids, I went to the bathroom by myself. <laughs> right. And I had a full-time job. So what did Kelly say that raised suspicions? Well... Sometimes she would tell people in the story that they were going to heaven together. And sometimes she would say she was escorting Izzy to heaven, or I was supposed to deliver her safely there and maybe God would send me back. Maybe not. Yeah, because he likes to accept murderers. Four days after the event, Izzy remained unconscious and a neurologist told Matt that the brain scan did not look promising. Izzy was in a coma and she had been intubated. The doctor thought Issy's only chance was to remove the ventilator and to see if it would jumpstart her brain. But he also said that it might leave her in a, veg- in a vegetative state, unable to breathe at all. Matt asked for an hour and found himself, as he calls it, in the same position Kelly had been in, holding the fate of my daughter's life in, in my hands. Oh, shit. He gave the doctor okay and they removed the ventilator and Issy slowly started to breathe. Matt said he felt like he was watching a miracle unfold. Soon after, Issy woke up with the Stapleton family all around her. Issy, out of the blue, says, Grandpa Stapleton. The room went silent. Matt's mother and father had been divorced for over 25 years, and Issy had never seen them together. Together. Had never seen them together. Issy had hardly spent any time with him, and he had recently died. 
Matt's mother asked if Issy could see him, and she said yes, they'd been coloring together. Oh, my God. Sarah had worries about her father, worried that he was not in heaven because of some of the things he said and did. To this day, Kelly believes that she and Issy did go to heaven and that God sent them back for a reason. For the family, however, the mention of Grandpa Stapleton was proof that Issy belonged to them. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't know. Maybe that she belonged with them. Instead of with Kelly. Yeah. Or belonged not dead. Yes. Yes. All of the above. During During an interview with Matt Stapleton, he seemed well. Okay. So what I mean by well is he didn't look fatigued. He didn't appear to have a black eye or a fat lip. He looked as though he had been sleeping. He looked rested. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. He looked well. This is my skeptical face. My- and he seemed hopeful about Izzy's recovery. Now keep in mind that Izzy is now a 20-year-old girl. So the the interviews that had taken place with Matt Stapleton and and stuff were like a year after the attempt on Izzy's life. Um, He was hopeful about Izzy's recovery. He did express his frustrations with Kelly's seeming to be very happy about being incarcerated. Kelly had openly admitted to many people, including Dr. Phil, that the warden of the prison was much kinder than the warden of autism. Kelly had written a poem to her youngest child, Ainsley, describing her deep, profound love for her and that what she had done was to protect her. She basically told her daughter that she tried to kill her sister for her. <laughs> uh, okay. Here's, here's some guilt on so, a platter. Eh. Matt declined to give the written communication from Kelly to Ainsley, and Matt said that Ainsley had suffered enough without Kelly adding to it by making her feel guilty or responsible. And I have to agree, dude, that's kind of fucked up. A little bit. Like, what, what, what were you going to say? Like, roses are red, your sister's insane, I tried to poison us both in a van. But it was for you. Uh, it was all <laughs> for you. Everything I do, I do it for you. So even if Kelly's intentions were completely innocent and pure when writing that poem, it could have had a horrible effect on Ainsley. And likely Ainsley probably knows all of this by now. Like, I wonder, do they ever say what kind of a mom she was to the other kids? Do the kids... Do they uh, do the kids ever talk about was she a good mom to them? So there aren't that I have found interviews and I didn't really focus on that um of the kids of Ainsley and McEwen talking about their mom. However, when interviewed, people that were not Kelly's immediate family like her in-laws, mm-hmm. everybody was like she was awesome with her kids. They did lots of things together. She was the mom that you know, took them to practice and then they made cookies and we're going to do this and we're going to hang out. And so I don't know, but if all of her attention was focused on Issy as a toddler, something tells me that she didn't have a lot of time through that like three to four year period with either of her other two children. To like bond. Right. So, and I know that, you know, it's not like she sent them to boarding school. It's not like she sent them to go live with a a relative full time, but I don't know what kind of a mom they would have described her as. Um, 
Kelly maintains that she did not plan the murder. She claims that she decided a course of action and that she had Hubert, she, she had a Birch's the Hibachi Grills. Yeesh. That she had a, oh, oh goodness. Twice. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Two times. Bat, bat. <laughs> back to back. <clears throat> she claims that she purchased the grills and other such materials the day of the event or a few days prior. Matt contends that per the record on their credit card, they were purchased before they went to go and bring Izzy home from Great Lakes. Oh. Matt, who has since divorced Kelly, said that he still loves Kelly, but he could never forgive her for what she's done. The aftermath of Kelly's attempt on Izzy's life has left her in prison. She is serving 10 to 23 years, and she had initially planned with her attorney, Heidi Hodeck, to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah, bitch, you were insane. Kelly had always wanted to go on Dr. Phil's show in 2012, saying that she wanted to tell her story. This time, the well, guess what? Now they're interested in your story. So, (laughs) the attorney, Heidi Hodeck, says in return for the interview, Kelly had wanted to get help for Izzy. At some point, the lawyer... um, A lawyer at Hodex Firm had requested that the show pay $150,000 in copyright and licensing fees for the Stapleton family images, roughly around the amount Kelly owed to the firm. The show refused and offered $10,000 that would go directly to Matt. Good, because she can't get it while she's in prison, right? She can't. But but he can. Sure, he can. Yeah. But But the lawyers can obtain money on behalf of Kelly if it's owed to them as long as the money isn't going to her. They clearly didn't do their research on how much daytime TV shows pay their people because it's not very much. Even reality shows. Oh honey like the fact that they offered 10 G's to. That's a lot of money. (laughs) That's a lot for daytime TV and like reality TV shows. For a two part episode $10,000. Yeah you got paid. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's like a season's worth of dude. Porn stars don't make that much until they're like, you know, Air Force Amy and like Julia Sky High. You know what I mean? And to make $10,000 in two days, like just saying. Yeah. That's like a whole season of reality TV. If you got paid good. Right. On Friday, August 15th, as the crew was setting up and Dr. Phil was already on his way, Hodek met with Kelly and decided to forego the interview. Hodek had looked over the questions and the producers, um, what they were planning to ask. She stated that she realized they would be very neatly set up for a case on premeditated murder and it would ruin the insanity defense. Well, she knows right from wrong, so the insanity defense is already kind of out. I think. Well, Hodek assumed that that was the end of it and drove back to her office in Traverse City, 45 minutes away. But at the jail, after they had left, the sheriff asked Kelly again whether or not she wanted to speak with Dr. Phil, suggesting that the decision was ultimately hers to make, at which point Kelly changed her mind, said yes, and on tape, Kelly said that she agreed to do the interview because I want to get help for my daughters. Dr. Phil had offered to bring Izzy to the PNP Center in Dallas and mentor, excuse me, and have an evaluation and treatment 
<clears throat> done at the center by Dr. Frank Lawless, who is an autism expert. She would undergo a full workup and evaluation, psychological, psychiatric, biochemical brain, heavy metals, hormones, whatever they needed to get some answers and try to get this young girl a little bit of peace in her life. Mm-hmm. Well, as one can imagine, that was music to Kelly's ears, and she agreed to do the interview. Her attorney, Mrs. Hodak, did not find out until it was over. She was absolutely furious and tried to quit the case. All the prosecution would have to do was play the jail recording of the interview and we would lose. Hodak said that she always had some concerns about going to trial, but the Dr. View interview decided it. Two days later, Kelly pleaded guilty, the lesson charge of first-degree child abuse instead of attempted murder. During her time with Dr. Phil, Kelly was seen by a specialist, Dr. Carol Lieberman, MD, psychiatrist, radio and TV talks, talk host, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, script consultant, and expert witness in Beverly Hills. In preparation for her interview with Dr. Phil, Dr. Lieberman spent 20-plus hours with Kelly, subsequently diagnosing her with severe PTSD, worse than what the experts had ever expected. That kind of, that makes a lot of sense. Like she got it early on. So then as it progressed through the years, she, it just made things worse and worse and worse. Uh huh. So Dr. Lieberman would further support Kelly's belief that Issy was going to kill her eventually, even if it was by accident. Based on the videos, hospitalizations, and the brain scans taken of Kelly, Dr. Lieberman deduced that Kelly was in serious danger. <clears throat> furthering my disgust for Matt Stapleton, okay, who told interviewers after Kelly was imprisoned that she was unstable, crazy, and scoffed at her constantly playing the victim card. Now, here's some things I want to discuss. Are you ready? This is going based off of two of her buddies. Okay. Interviews on Dr. Phil. Okay. I don't know if I'm ready. It's very easy to say that these two people that were close to Kelly are supporting her as the victim, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know. I, I There are people that exist on this planet that hurt themselves very dangerously and grievously to get attention, mm-hmm. to get other people in trouble, to, you know what I'm saying? Right. And like, if that was my people, say it was you, I would be like, no, she downplays it. I would probably be like, so right there with you on your side. And I don't know if I would be able to see any outside. So I don't know. I I don't know how much really was attention seeking versus like, this really was a woman that was at the end of her pitiful fucking Mm -hmm. rope. Now, here's what I will say. And when I told you that I hadn't made my mind up about this, okay, this is why. (sighs) Do I feel for Kelly? Fuck yeah, I do. Because I 100 think, I 100, 100% know that I could not handle a child like Izzy. There is zero chance of me being a parent at all to a child like that because I don't possess the skill set. I lack the empathy and I already have my own set of mental health problems and disorders 
that would make dealing with her difficult. But when you add aggression, then I become aggression. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, you know what I mean? You'll feed off of each other. And as soon as somebody, and you know this about me, as soon as somebody even makes a threat to put their hands on me, I'm fucking in it, dude. I am like fucking ready to go. Like downtown Julie Brown shit. Let's fucking do this. That's dangerous. That's like, you can't be like that with, with a kid. No, you especially shouldn't be like that with a kid that has processing issues. Right. So I know that I 100% would not be able to handle Isabel. But would you feel different if you birthed it? We will never know. If I have you no idea. The child. Yeah. Cause I know that things change when you have the baby and okay. you're like, Oh, all the things that I thought I wouldn't, would or wouldn't do. Everything goes out the window. Does it? Because she birthed this one and she still tried to kill it. No, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean with you right. like saying, I don't know if I could kiss all the but, things that I said that I would do or wouldn't do or, you know, this and that, whatever. Right. I also said I wouldn't be able to have kids. Maybe I'd be able to give it up for adoption. The second I found out that I was pregnant, I was like, nope, mind keeping it forever. <laughs> Love it. Mom life. <laughs> so what happens when you are deeply in love with this thing before it's actually a baby. And you've got a cluster of sales and you're already in love with it. But this child that you house for nine months and then give birth to, and you love it and you think it hung the moon. I say it all fucking gross. Right. I just, I even said birthed it. So, well, as soon as I think about, being pregnant and giving birth, I get disgusted. And so I immediately was like, ew. But Sorry, how long guys. did we call Addie it? Long time. Just saying. She probably just barely got a name. The fucking purple pe- people eater. Oh, she her, her name changed from it to devil baby. The so. devil baby. So my, my thing is, there is such a thing as being battle weary and having battle fatigue. Okay. There is such a thing as having caregivers sickness. Yeah. Okay? And I know this from dealing with my mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is fucking exhausting. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking the whole time. Like how exhausting is it to have, you don't get a minute off. You don't get a day off. No. You don't get time off. So do I feel for Kelly? Yes, I do. Do I, do I understand what it's like to be a mom in love with a kid? Nope. I, know, I do. I know what it's like to be a bonus mom and love her kids um, and be completely enamored with them. It is not the same. I do, I do not have the biological response. Well, and that's what I was thinking of the whole time before because that's your kid and you love it. And no matter what is going on, you want... To make it better, you want to help it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. As if it would be different if it was like if you were babysitting or whatever. But when it's your own kid, you want certain things. You you love the kid no matter what because it's yours. I guess. I don't know. I, I mean, all I'm saying is that I know what it's like. Because like little Addison, she's a little shit terrorist, but I love her. I don't not love her. I call her it the devil baby. It sounds like I don't. Pay attention to her, love her. I absolutely adore the child. She sleeps in my bed all the time. We cuddle all the time. I love her. She's a pain in my ass. 
Right. But I love her. So if you have... Have this child. And you're supposed to love them unconditionally. And you do. But you are now one more concussion away from being fucking... Right. And all, yeah. And all I can think of is the other kids. You're being, you're not being a parent to the other kids. If all of your time is going to this child, there's and a time where you need to concede. Is that the word? Yeah. But I, how? I honestly like, and this is going to sound incredibly selfish and there are parents to autistic children that are listening to this, that are probably losing their fucking mind and it's okay. We don't know. We don't know what we're doing. Um, I think I actually like had that in this episode somewhere. Like I'm pretty sure that autistic parents, autistic parents, parents of autistic children are listening to this right now and completely fucking losing their minds. That being said, I would never want to judge a mom. No. In her position. Because you never know what they're going through. And fuck no. Knowing what, like, I know what I go through at home and what people see. And what we go through at home. Two totally different two things. Two totally different things. Even people I'm around, like you, all the, mm-hmm. like, I see you more than I see anybody else, which is not very often, but you know only a tiny bit of what goes on in my house. And what right. goes on and what you see is different. Right. Because they can act different. When you walk through the door, they're like, she's busy. We're going to be total dickheads. It's, you know what I mean? So, <clears throat> during the interviews with Kelly, whether it's Dr. Phil or other news outlets. Um, Kelly looks like absolute shit. She's lost a ton of weight. She looks old. Her hair's washed out. You know what I mean? She looks frail. She looks sick. And it would be one thing to fake being unwell, but when you look like that, It's apparent that you're not well. So even though she did express relief being incarcerated, I have no doubt in my mind that she was mentally unwell Mm -hmm. and that she is racked with guilt. Um, I still don't know how I feel about her purchasing the grills before Izzy came home. I don't know how I feel about her getting out of the vehicle when she was supposed to take Izzy to heaven and then she was only escorting her. And then it was like, motherfucker, this is premeditated. You meant to kill her and you meant to live. She did because she wanted to be a hero. Like, did she want to be like, Oh, we were, we were camping and it was an accident. Like, no, did she think she was going to be able to explain herself? I don't know. So here's the gig. I don't know if she really is fucking buck nutty as a squirrel turd. And she really was like, no, really, I got to take my daughter to heaven really quick so that everybody in my house can feel some sense of release and peace. You know what I mean? Or if she thought that if she appeared to be taking herself out of the equation as well, that it would be seen as saint-like or, and then if she somehow lived that she would be forgiven I, I don't know. The thing is, do I condone her decision to kill her daughter? No. Fuck no. No. Do I think that a mother should live in constant fear of her child and be beaten like that 
on a daily basis. No, and that no. can make you crazy. I bet so, she... Uh, I wonder if she was always crazy, like a little bit crazy, well, we're but this like let her over the edge. No, I mean like a little bit extra right. than, than the little bit. And that let her over the edge into extra crazy. And then she was just at the end of her rope because... I remember you, when your kid kept getting fucking concussion after concussion and he started acting all fucking weird and was having emotional regulation problems mm-hmm. and, you know, he just wasn't quite himself and you started to get a little concerned that like... When he thought that he had memories of when he was a velociraptor. And that's a real thing because I asked the doctor. When I took him into the doctor, I was like, am I crazy? Because I really feel crazy telling you this right now. But you need to know everything. <laughs> is he making shit up for attention? Or is this thing? He's like, no, this oh, is a thing. They, you can put yourself like one kid, he said, thought he was a bull. Perfect. And he kept like smashing it. his head up against the oh, that makes tree. So better. that made it worse. He's like, as long as he's not hurting himself, <laughs> this is a normal thing. So. I didn't even think of the concussion thing. Dr. Frank Lawless, the expert on autism, stated that not all people living with autism uh, are violent or aggressive. Kelly's brain scans, which are showed in detail on the Dr. Phil show, show several stages of healing from grade two and three concussions from Issy. She was getting them one after another. Her brain wasn't right. No. The reporter that initially um, interviewed her to get Izzy some help, was also the first to interview her after her arrest. And, you know, he talked about how Kelly's last resort to save her daughter, to save her family, was to end mm-hmm. Izzy. And he said that knowing what he knows about the family, he does feel that Kelly is genuinely remorseful. Yeah. During the Dr. Phil show, okay, and you guys can all check this out at the Kelly and Issy Stapleton episode, there was another guest on the Dr. Phil show that day, and uh, I do not ever see her name being displayed, so I'm not 100% sure if that was intentional or not, but she was a single mother of a very autistic boy who had become aggressive. Her husband actually died in a freak vehicle accident when she was pregnant. Oh, no. She has her her only child, okay, yeah. is this little boy named Preston. And Preston becomes aggressive and violent very early on, you know, scratching that kind of thing to where in the, in the Dr. Phil episode, you will see a woman at the end of her pitiful little rope who admits that she once drove onto a train track with her and her son in the car and waited for the train. Right. That I totally get like it's mental, mental exhaustion. You're so, done. You don't know if there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Right. What are you supposed to do? Because at this point light. she can't like her house is destroyed. She's getting beat to shit all of the time. There's no end in sight. There's no, what do I do? Where do I go? What happens now? Well, and from what it sounds, the husband's not there to give her a break ever. No. There's no weekend. Go for a weekend away with the girls. Go to dinner. Go drive and have a coffee and sit nope. at the coffee shop for two hours while you do nothing. Exactly. There's nothing. So it would appear to me that parents dealing with children who have um, disabilities, because I, I, I'm not saying it's only autistic children. There are a 
oh, yeah. veritable cornucopia of disorders and syndromes and diseases that a kid can have that they will exhibit violent behavior. Mm-hmm. But um, it would seem to me that there's quite a few moms that have considered putting an end to themselves as well as their child because they don't want to deal with their kid anymore. And I say that that bluntly because holy fuck, I cannot imagine. Could you imagine? No. And they know that they're not going to live through, be able to like live through it if they just no. killed their kid. They so wouldn't. what the fuck do you do? So it's like, well, it's all of us. We're all going. Goodbye. We're done. One or none. Yeah. One or none. Nope. All oh, everybody. Yeah. All in. So... One of the things that I do want to discuss is a personal experience I had working for the juvenile justice system. And we have a youth that I have had several experiences with this youth. He is on the autism spectrum. I would put him at like level two. Okay. So he is higher functioning, but limited processing. He is prone to aggressive and violent outbursts. Mm-hmm. And I got to be a part of one of those. Remember? Yeah. So, I actually do. I was like, I think I remember that. Yes. <clears throat> so here's the fun thing. This kid was over six feet, probably close to 250, 275 probably closer to three, like I I would say probably like 360 to 375, closer to the tipping point, right? Mm -hmm. Towered over me, outweighed me by a hundred and something pounds. It would be difficult for me to handle this youth, Mm -hmm. period. Yeah. Okay. This child had some triggers that we did not know about. So... There were some triggers and some things that we had not been told. Mm -hmm. Um, He had been with us due to aggressive and violent behaviors towards his grandma. Um, The kid is actually sweet as can be. Mm. Okay. And this is why it makes it so hard. Yeah. It's because when they're good, they're good. But when they're bad, they're they're real fucking bad. Mm -hmm. And one of the incidences left the entire unit shaken up and our youth was no longer with us. And I came very, very close to catching a wooden step stool in the head. It took three people to finally subdue this kid. After many, many things, including this kid rampaging in the middle of a busy highway and threatening to smash a vehicle's windshield with a rock, Mm -hmm. um, two grown men and me. So knowing what I know about that specific personal experience, I would say that had that kid gotten a hold of just me yeah, or one of our other staff that was not the size of a fucking oak tree, Mm -hmm. your injuries would have been monumental. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your injuries could have very well been fatal. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Thankfully, this kid was more interested in tearing shit apart than tearing a person apart. Right. Thankfully. Because holy shit. He hurt himself more than he hurt Aww. anybody else. And that's, that's the worst part. Um, and it makes it really hard when you see the kid act this way. And it's fucking scary because there were other youth in the section that were absolutely horrified. Didn't want to be anywhere near this kid ever again. And after he's calmed down and, you know, he returns to the center, I've dealt with him several times. The last time I saw this kid, I pulled my mask down enough for him to see my face. And I was like, hey, kiddo, you see any good TikToks lately? Because I knew he's a big TikToker. He likes to make videos too. Oh. So he says, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Um, And he's got a little bit of a speech impediment. And I love that about kids. Um, I know that like, you're not supposed to let your kid grow up with a speech impediment and they have like speech therapists for it and shit. I think it's fucking cute. I know. And then you try to egg it on and they start to grow out of it. You're like, no, remember we say it like this. I know. And I know, I know that we're not supposed to let kids, you know, grow up with things that can be corrected because you know, they get teased. But he said, oh yeah, sorry about that. I had a bad day. Oh, I was like, I know, buddy. It's okay. Uh, I'm sorry about that. It's all right, buddy. That makes me sad. So I've seen firsthand that a child in the middle of one of these fits, I, I've seen what they can do. Furniture, whole ass pieces of fucking furniture up and off the ground, upended on the other sides of rooms. Okay. So for Issy to repeatedly get a hold of her mom, I just, I, I really feel like her crazy went into like maniacal. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where Matt at one point in time was like, oh, she was irrationally obsessed. I would be fucking irrationally obsessed. I kind of would be too. When everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. It's not fine. And then I get pushed down the fucking stairs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, The doctor goes on to talk about the emotional regulation issues in a child with autism. Basically, the short version, okay, the Cliff's Notes version, is that the frontal and the occipital lobes of the brain are operating backwards of each other, and this gives a child limited processing capabilities. Inability to communicate then increases the chances of violence in autistic kids. So if they don't know how to explain, then they get upset. Then they get upset because the communication isn't there. They don't know how to do that. And so what they do know is that when I respond in this way, I feel better and then I get what I want. That makes sense. So all three doctors on the show did not support or condone Kelly's actions and ending the lives of herself and her child were obviously, um, Things that should never have been on the table, right? That should never have been an option. Keep in mind that 2013 is seven years ago. So I don't know what kind of resources were available then. I don't know what was available in her area. Michigan, rural Michigan. Um, I don't know what their financial situation was to be able to afford 
um, things like the Great Lakes Center. She at one time had said that she was going to rent an apartment to be closer so that they could go to school. So something so tells me that somewhat of an option, right? But at the end of the day, it wasn't viable due to safety concerns, right? So I don't know. I mean, they had aides, you know, they had home aid and CPS that would come. But when you're dealing with a child like Isabel, who attacks like this, and we, we talked about this, like, where are you going to find an aide to do that? Right. And I don't know if maybe if they would have done it when she was younger, if they, if there was more that they didn't see, and I'm not trying to say that they did the wrong thing. I don't know. Just thinking about stuff. Did the mom not, did she like make peace with her life that like not peace, but like, this is how it's going to be. This is all I have to do. This is what we're dealing with. And then when one thing didn't work out, it was like, well, fuck it. I give up. Or you know what I'm saying? Cause they found the one place so they were able to find that to try. So, I don't know. So we had the Great Lakes I just Center. went in a circle all by myself. A little bit. That's all right. I got to talk it out. Sometimes I just got to talk, talk it, it out. out. So they get to this, they, they get to this place and the, the place is obviously expensive and the insurance is helping foot the bill. And when the funding was no longer there, the option for her to be inpatient was no longer there. So my assumption is that it's very costly. So when they were like, okay, well then it would be cheaper for me to rent an apartment and do outpatient at least school. Right. Um, and then, then it was a safety concern. Right. So that was off the table. I don't know what kind of clinicians, I don't know what kind of therapists and such were available in their local close to them area. Everything in me now wants to like leave what we're doing right now to go look all of this up. So I'm trying to focus right now It's so, so that I can go look it up and come back and be like, okay, here's what I found. At the end of the day, I think that Kelly was pushed mentally, emotionally, physically, psychologically to terminate Issy. That was going to be the, that was... That she, was her only answer because she thought she had tried everything. Right. And because you cannot change Izzy, right? She is the way she is. We just got done talking about this. Did she ever really upset? Like, this is what we're doing. This She is the way she is. Okay. Well, if your child is like Izzy and you're afraid of her and she's fucking you up on the daily and then she starts like honing in on her sister and then you got to worry about that one too. And the kids already don't have a normal life because of it. The simplest answer right? Is to remove that from the equation. Oh, I can see where she got there. Right. I'm not even, not even questioning. I just had a thought though. Yeah. I wonder, and I bet it doesn't say in any of this, I wonder, or have any of them, like, I doubt anybody has said anything about it. I wonder how much she went to herself, how much counseling she went to herself to figure out how to deal with it. How many classes did she take? Did they say anything about her? I, I, I really don't think that she ever had professional help or evaluations other than medical emergency because, until she was incarcerated. Right. Because <laughs> dealing with my son, I know that I learned more about him and he did better with his issues when I went to counseling with the things that I learned about me and how to deal with things. I was able to help him in a way better way than just like, instead of just deal, we're going to deal with you. 
it, it was, we're going to deal with me and you. Right. And the more I dealt with me, the better it got with him. We're all going to get better. Yeah. Well, a few weeks later, okay, when she was going on trial, okay, this following the Dr. Phil. Now, Dr. Phil, Dr. Lieberman, and Dr. Lawless all say there's got to be something that we can do to help parents. Like, there's got to be right. another way. Like, a parent should never, ever feel like uh, murder-suicide is the only way to make things better. Mm-mm. Sadly, Kelly is not the only person. You know, there are moms on support groups that are like, fucking help me. Oh, I could see. I could see how you could get there. So a few weeks later, in place of <clears throat> in the place of the trial in Benzie County courtroom, much too small for the crowd that had showed up, Kelly Stapleton was a, was subjected to an unusually long and rich sentencing. On one side of the spectators section sat the Stapletons, and other on the other side was Kelly's friends and family. Lisa Stiev and <clears throat> one of her closest friends said Kelly was a wonderful mother, never yelled, never lost her patience, baked cookies for her kids after school. Matt's mother, on the other hand, said that she caught Kelly's eye in the courtroom once, and I just had the feeling of evil run over me. Matt, good old Matt, arrived every day in his usual mayoral mode, hugged his mother, and then shook hands with Kelly's brother. Now I... You'll see that I bolded that and Mm -hmm. underlined it here in a second. So Mr. Matt had decided and contemplated on whether or not he was going to stay silent during the sentencing. And the second day, he decided to read a statement. I'd been talking to him for a few weeks. Okay, not me, but the reporter who was from the New York Times, okay, said that he'd been talking to him for a few weeks and he'd always heard him give Kelly the benefit of the doubt. But on the stand, he was unequivocal. Quote, I will never be okay with what happened September 3rd, 2013. Never. It's just that simple. It's never okay to murder a child, no matter what the circumstances. But the next day, he would ask his lawyer to read another statement because he worried he'd sounded too harsh. Kelly did get hit, and she did get hit hard. It did happen. I wanted to get across... That the kids and I love Kelly, and we know that she would never have done something like this if she was thinking straight or thinking clearly. Kelly's friends, over the last 13 months, he'd been badgered by both his family and Kelly's friends to choose a side. Oh, that sucks. Kelly or his child, and he remained torn. Now, here's my thing, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there. Brain weasel. If you know that your wife isn't right and you can see her declining mentally, emotionally, psychologically, you hold some responsibility. Yeah, you fucking do. So my thing is, she, my wife would never have done this if she would, you know, if she'd been in her right state, if she'd been thinking clearly. Okay, well, then you turn around and say that your wife was acting irrationally and that she was obsessed with her own safety and that she was unstable and crazy. So if she was unstable and she was crazy, she wasn't in her right mind. And you knew all of this because here you are fucking telling people all willy fucking nilly about it. Then you're just as goddamn guilty. In my opinion, perhaps you are not responsible for the ultimate action that she took, but you do bear some responsibility for the entire fucking thing. Okay? Because 
you as her partner, as the father to the child that is creating the mental unwellness, the physical, psychological unwellness in your wife, dude, where are you? Yeah. Ever since you brought up the concussion thing, I can't think about all of this. Well, I can't think about it. It it makes a lot more sense now because I know how Calvin acted when he had his concussions and it was different. It wasn't him. He uh, got upset over the smallest things real quick and it was a complete meltdown, a complete come apart. It was so, and this was for years. Yeah. It went on cause he got, well, he got two in a row and then one a year later. Yeah. And it went on for a couple of years. The, his not okayness. It took a while to get his shit back together. So we've got Kelly who has multiple concussions grade two and three, which are like mid grade and the worst you can get. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she's dealing with that on top of dealing with the PTSD. And yeah. And you're, you have all these new behavioral issues in yourself. Right. That she probably, and she's still trying to mother Mm -hmm. an aggressive, violent teenager. So here's, here's the thing. Child protective services stepped in while Kelly was on trial to testify on her behalf. They went on to describe the severity of, of Izzy's violence, stating that one day they arrived at the house for a home visit and found Ainsley sobbing hysterically in the locked car outside, hiding from a rampaging Izzy. They also testified that Ainsley had been attacked more since Kelly was out of the house, being in jail. That unprovoked and unwarranted attacks consisted of hair ripping and hitting. The family had to implement escape plans for Ainsley to lock herself in the car or hide from her sister or worst case scenario, flee the house from a window and go look for help. And that's after mom after was Kelly, in jail. Uh-huh. After Kelly was in jail and Issy had recovered from her carbon monoxide poisoning. As per the New York Times magazine, because they really did write a beautiful article, a lot of this writing is theirs. I'm just regurgitating it. Some of it's mine, most of it's theirs. By the third day of testimony between friends and enemies, psychiatrists, experts, and a more and more or less a coherent picture of Kelly began to emerge. It had been unearthed that she had been assaulted as a child by her brother and left unprotected by her own mother. I'm certainly glad that her husband made her way to that guy, made sure to shake his hand and welcome him to the courtroom. Mm. You know, the same guy responsible for some of Kelly's trauma. Um, It was also unspecified the type of abuse Kelly endured. And the brother was there. And the brother was there. Fuck you. She may have had a personality disorder some of it that led her to have the attention-seeking mm-hmm. behaviors in unreasonable ways. Perhaps she lacked what one psychiatrist called ego glue, the capacity to hold herself together when things got rough. Mm-hmm. Her concussions left her even more vulnerable, and after being hit, excuse me, after being hit so much, she suffered from the PTSD. So when her hair was pulled at the front door that day, she was pretty much primed to mistake any firecracker for a grenade. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, remember when I told you, keep this in mind about Kelly being hit the day as he came home, when she was being interviewed by this reporter for the New York Times about how the reporter said that Kelly was basically reliving in present tense everything that had happened. Mm-hmm. So... This is why. 
Not only was she dealing with the side effects of having debilitating concussions, she was suffering from PTSD. Yep. So do I forgive Kelly for trying to kill her child? Yes, I do. Right. I do because she is genuinely remorseful, regardless of how hinky, sneaky, and suspicious some of her behavior was. She wasn't in her right mind. So now the... She really just wasn't, dude. It's, I think, a temporarily, a temporary insanity. I really, yeah. Or I, that doesn't I, I don't know. Like the temporary or like the, the plea of not guilty by means of insanity. I really think that probably would have fit for her mm-hmm. considering. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I do want to say is that in a lot of her subsequent interviews... You can tell that she's not only remorseful, but she is deeply relieved that her daughter's still alive. Yeah. She just wanted an out. She was, when you're in, when you're in there, in that cycle and everything, all of the factors that she had, she wasn't thinking right. She just wanted out. And that's the way she thought of to get out. She She was making it, she was making it to where everybody It was going to be easier for everybody. The one thing that made me sad was that she was under the impression that once Izzy was no longer tied to the evils of autism, that when she died, she would be alleviated of this and that she was somehow going to be in heaven a completely different and better and something, you know what I mean? A lot, yeah. A lot of religions believe that it, when once you die, your body is whole. Because I right. remember when I was younger, I was told that I was like, I can't wait till I die because I don't have, I won't have a burn scar. Right. Because a burn scar matters. But at that time, it well, really bothered me. And of I was course. like, Hey, when I die, I won't have a burn scar anymore. So they believe that you'll go as like this perfectly polished person. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. And I'm like, eh, all right. So Kelly sat through the proceedings of her trial in an orange jumpsuit and chains. Her face is completely drained of all and any color. She's very thin. Like her lips are all chappy. Looks like raw putty. She wears her hair to the side and it's gray and just thin and she looks disheveled. Um, She's not that old. Is she? She's like, she really just, less she wasn't, 50. she wasn't. Um, it kind of looked like she had lost the will to defend herself at this point or even try to explain what she was doing. Um, at the end of the day, people are going to always come to the conclusion that it is never okay to harm a child. And for that, that's where she's like, fuck it. Just throw me in a hole somewhere. Right, I don't deserve I bet, to live. Yeah, I'm sure she feels the same way that we do about that. But she was in such a strange situation. So at this point, she had actually asked the judge to give her um, at least 15 years, right? Judge James Batzer said that civilization depended on parents not killing their children, which is true, if obvious. But the sentence that followed was for 10 to 22 years in prison. Batzer had earlier warned many people that they would not be satisfied with the sentence, and he was right. Among the unsatisfied was Kelly, who said a year for every um, 
year of Izzy's life up until she tried to end it. She promised the judge that she would no longer do interviews, no more writing, and that she would never mention Isabel's name again because she was not worthy to speak her name because she's not the monster I am. Ow. Footage of Izzy following her um, recovery, okay? She was wobbly. She did suffer some brain damage from the carbon monoxide poisoning. It did show that she started to be able to communicate again. She was wobbly, but working through what the carbon monoxide left behind. As far as has been reported, she is currently 20 years old, still living in Michigan with her father. Um, Izzy did make a full recovery, no more shakes, no more wobbles, that she could walk and still you know, maintain the way um, she had prior to the attempt on her life. Um, of course, the recovery from the carbon monoxide poisoning did take several years for her to regain what she had lost. Yeah. Kelly Stapleton is eligible for parole in 2023. So where does, where does Izzy live? With her dad. And Ainsley is obviously 18, probably dashed at the fuck out of there. That was not reported, and these are the things I want to know. Just yes, kidding. and normally, <laughs> if me. I if I had not fucking fallen behind this week and forgotten what day it was, those things would have been included in the the episode. But if you could find it, if you a lot could, of times right. you can't find the shit that you want to know. So one of the things um, about Kelly Stapleton's case and Izzy's case. Um, Matt did limited interviews. So he did do some. He declined to be on the Dr. Phil show. I think that was more along the lines of like logistically traveling and shit Mm -hmm. with Izzy and the other kids. I think the son had probably gone on to college. Um, I think it was seriously, I, I honestly, I would love, 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 love to talk to Ainsley. I would like an interview with Matt now, now that he's had to take on taking care of her. And see where he's at with all of this. Right. Did his tune change at all? I, it, my estimation is that Matt probably learned quite a bit in his first year being the primary and only parent and caretaker, main caretaker for Issy. I would be willing to bet you both of my hands that he still maintains, um, I would never try to kill my kid. Of course he would. But he's still not 100% in her shoes. He still gets Um, to go to work. I would also maintain that most people, even if they did consider like fucking drowning their kid or pulling the car in front of a train or fucking trying to smoke them out with carbon monoxide, definitely would not admit that after their spouse tried it first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But I do want to follow this up with once upon a time, um, there was an article posted on the group page. I don't know if you remember this. And it was in regards to a special needs child whose life had been ended by their parent um, due to what everybody was like, oh yeah, it's got to be hard to have a special needs child, blah, 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 blah. And sympathized a little bit with the mom who was like, either did, I can't remember if, I can't remember if the kid was actually killed or if it was an attempt. And one of our listeners, and I honest to God cannot remember their name, was fucking furious. 
Mm-hmm. She came out the gate ready to fucking tell every single one of us um, just what she thought about every single person sympathizing with an attempted murder. Um, and that regardless of the situation, you, you like harming and she's the mother of a special needs child okay so for her she was like you're basically saying like you know oh you know like this kid kept doing this so you know i had to fucking put a bullet in him because god that was hard anyway the point being i understand where you're coming from yeah i do too i understand what she's saying however you don't get to decide what somebody else's breaking point is. Yeah. You also don't get to decide and judge another person's misery and suffering and pain. And not being in their right mind that pushes you so far to not being in your right mind. Like I know that I've never been there, but I have had trying things happen in my life that made me not me. There are parents who have openly admitted that they resent their children now because of, um, the battle fatigue because of the caregiver sickness, because of not getting a break, because of constantly being, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, do I think that there needs to be a better source of help? Yes. Where are you going to get it? How are you going to afford it? Right. I don't fucking know, dude. And what is it going to be? Because it's not going to be, it's not the same for every kid. Every kid is different. Right. There's different levels. So how do you make a, a special center? Or whatever for these kids. Well, goddamn, you got to find the right kind of people too to work there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the 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 difference between working with a child who is at risk and violent versus a criminal youth, two totally different things, mm-hmm. right? So you not only do you have to find a staff willing to work with these kids, take some punches, and not hurt the kid. Back. Back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big... That's a lot. There's so much that goes into it that you can't really judge the parents. You can't what I, say what you would do because you have no fucking clue until you're there. I, honest, I, I honestly, like, bring the institutions back. Hear me out. Okay. Do you guys remember the movie The Other Sister? Yeah. Juliet Lewis. Yeah. Now, in this movie, this young lady went to a special school for mm-hmm. special people where she learned lots of things, mm-hmm. right? To function as an adult, to, and I believe that she was portrayed as like an individual that could have been on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Correct? I think so. I haven't right? seen it for a long time. <clears throat> oh my God. Time. I Not fucking love that right movie. Right after it came out. Um, I absolutely love that movie. It's probably the sweetest thing I've ever seen in my life. And it gave me the feels and you know how I feel about having the feels. I absolutely adored the, the role that Juliette Lewis played as well as Giovanni Ribisi. I have never, and Hector Elizondo, he's always such a great person, but, um, that movie made me feel differently. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know about the feelings of other people and that rarely, yeah, it made me feel feelings and made me think about other people's feelings. And I don't like doing that. Right. You're like, well, I don't like it. Feelings. So (laughs) in this movie, right. 
the parents were very wealthy and they were kind of an elite family and they could afford to send their daughter to a school that specialized in children that needed support like her. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there are people that are not wealthy. They are not made of money. They do not make a, a high six figure income. They don't, you know what I'm saying? So we, ha- we really do need to have something. I'm not saying it needs to be an institution, but no. there need to be resources to help parents, especially like the lady that was also on Dr. Phil with the aggressive son who is all alone. She's, she doesn't even have other children. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have. So what happens when he gets bigger and what happens when he's 17? Yeah. Cause dude. The kid's already big. Go watch the videos. Look what he look at what he did. Like look at what he has already done to his mother. How old is he now? <sighs> or on, on he would be he would be adulthood. Like um, I believe at this point he would be sixteen to eighteen. How old was he when they recorded it? Uh, eh, Ten. How long ago was it? The Doctor Phil piece came out in like twenty fourteen. Oh okay. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Twenty twenty fourteen. So Kelly tried to kill Izzy in 2013. And it was they a went year to trial, okay. trial. It was the next year. So yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine having any of my kids at their stage being violent because you never know, especially Calvin. Right. And he's only, he's only 13. So I do want to say if that, if that listener is actually still a listener, she was, she was fucking floored. Which I get. Totally. I get it. Um, I get all the sides, though. There's no right answer. There isn't. There really just isn't. And I can see everything from every single side where you're like, yep, 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 yep. Get it, get it, get it. I get it, I get it. But what do you do? But what do you do? Yeah. So what do you do? So So what do you... What are you going to do, baby? Uh, (laughs) That's the the hormone monster in Big Mouth. I'm like, I know this. What is it? Shut up, Rick. What are you going to do? Um, so maybe don't try to kill your kids. Yeah, please don't. And uh, stay, stay out, out of chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.